Today we are talking to Desi McAdam, the CTO of Nano, and we discuss the importance of staying lean during the early stages of product development, managing the co-founder relationship, and the dangers of building a product too fast. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. When uh, Jake, when he saw that you were coming on the show, he's like, you got to check out her bio. She's she's a female Joel. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You've been programming for like 17 years and you uh, primarily are programming in Ruby. And the, the way you were, the way your bio was written, we were like, oh man, Desi's going to be the most fantastic guest ever. So the pressure's super high, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. You, guys, you guys can be the determiners of that. So what are you working on now? I'm really excited to hear about it. Um, so right now I am working on my own startup called Nano. Uh, so it's myself and Liz Ortle. She's um, the CEO. And then we have two other team members, uh, Amanda and Anthony. And okay. it is basically on-demand childcare. So think Lyft for childcare. Oh, I like how you, you use Lyft. Right, because yeah. Uber's overused. That's real yeah. smart. Desi, you were the female Joel. I'm loving you. <laughs> well, and you know, Uber, I'm kinda kinda mad at Uber right now. So I don't I don't compare Uh-oh. myself to Uber at all. Let's talk about that. <laughs> we'll do some relationship stuff here. What what did they did they not show up or like what happened with Uber? Oh no, I mean it's just they don't they all the stuff that's happened with them for like the last well their entire existence for how they treat their female engineers or or just their engineers in general, but especially their female energy engineers. Um, and then you know just Travis, man, like <laughs> yeah, I, I just decided I I had always been a Lyft Uber or sorry an Uber user from like the very early days. Like I I don't even remember. The first time I used it, but I used it in San Francisco and it was a long time ago. And I used Uber and I like stayed true and loyal. And then, start, you know, all the different articles started coming out about the various like underhanded things they were doing. And then, you know, the female engineer who posted her, um, you know, recap of her time there was just enough for me to be like, okay, I'm out. And I don't compare us to them ever. <laughs> Well, I think it's smart, period, just because it's a overused comparison. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Yeah. So like if you're a if you're a capital or some sort of investor and you're you hearing Uber. We're Uber every day. <laughs> we're Uber, we're Uber, we're Uber. You know, it's like crazy. Now I heard I, I have limited experience with the the uh, politics of the C level type stuff at Uber or engineering or anything like that. But what I have heard is Gary V talks about Travis mm-hmm. um, in in some of his videos and stuff like that. And then I did see some articles kind of come across, and it kind it looked as if though at first Uber was a side project, and then farther down the road now they were like backing down as CEO, and then that there was some drama there. So like that's literally as much as it affected or came into my view. So I didn't even know what it was about. Yeah, I mean, there were some other things too. There's definitely a yeah. whole lot of drama around around all of that. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I didn't try to stay up on it too much. But when the when the female engineer posted her post, um, I did read hers, and that was enough for me. Like that was yeah. that was enough for me to say, okay, 
um, you know, I'm the least I can do is is support the other women in the industry. And if there's a company that's mistreating them, then I'm not going to give them my business. So, yeah, that I am the same way, right? Like it's all about the people. It's all about the team. The only reason the company exists is because of the people and the team. And the only way it grows and sort of, you know, thrives or survives is because of the group of humans behind it. So you got to be, you know, responsible to your people for the culture and the environment. And, and that's like the most important thing because you have to have a good place to work. Otherwise you're not going to get good people. Well, yeah. I mean, and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm loving Nano and here's why. I have a five month old little girl. Oh, congratulations. I'm so pumped. Her name is Ari. Ari? My daughter's name's Aria. No, well, her legal name's Aria, but is it? we call her Ari. I, I promise you. Yeah. We, uh, because I'm a big, I'm big into music mm-hmm. and we were looking for a name that I liked that, you know, is kind of cool. And then Aria came up and my wife and I looked at each other. We're like, yes. Yeah, right. you and I are so in tune. My my oldest girl's name is Cadence, and okay. my youngest girl's name is Aria. Perfect. I, I get you right now. By the way, <laughs> like, I get it. That's that's my husband's doings, but you know I'm yeah. totally in support of it. <laughs> we didn't come up with her middle name. We uh, our um, my brother in law. He is a music producer, mm-hmm. and so he's really good because he writes lyrics and like wins Grammys and all this crazy stuff. So we said we really like the name Aria, but we could not find the middle name. Right. So we sent him a text and he comes back. He's like, Aria Elizabeth. And I'm like, thank you. Like, I nice. love that. Yeah. Nice. I was like, that sounds good. You know, ours is Aria Lucia. Aria Lucia. See, that works too. Yep. And the funny thing is, is that there's actually a famous opera called Lucia. It's an Italian opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spell it exactly the same, but we, we say it Lucia. Nice. Yeah. For some reason, when I'm telling people her name, I want to default to Ari. I don't know why, but like in public, like last night we were at dinner and the people at the table next door, next door, next to us were, were looking at her and they were giggling, like she was giggling at them and doing her little baby thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, what's her name? And I'm like, Ari. And my wife's like, Aria. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it works. Yes. Yeah. We, we, call, we call Aria, Aria. But I have a feeling that as she gets older, she'll probably have friends that nickname her um, Ari. So, so now do you, so Nano... Uh-huh. Your lift on-demand babysitters, yes. right? And then this come about because of Aria or because of Cadence? Uh, mostly Aria, actually. Okay. Um, so about, well, she's three now. So um, about three years ago, <laughs> uh, I was working at a company called ThoughtBot. Um, doing, oh, I know ThoughtBot. Okay, cool. Um, doing the, I was director of development for the Denver office there. And so I went on a maternity leave, had Aria, came back. Um, and so my oldest daughter is actually my stepdaughter. So I didn't go through, um, infancy with her. I met her when she was 18 months old. So, um, this was the first time I had really experienced, um, you know, the early years of, of a child Mm-hmm. And Aria had a lot of ear, a lot of ear infections, um, and was miss, you know, she missed a lot of school and that sort of stuff. And it was very frustrating because it's really hard to find someone at, you know, seven thirty in the morning on a Wednesday to come and watch your kid, you know, because she woke up with a fever or whatever, and you know, otherwise is relatively fine, other than she has a mild fever and can't go to school because they have these rules. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I was kind of running into a lot. And it was, it was frustrating because, you know, I was doing a lot of sales and a lot of biz dev type stuff and also an advisor for a lot of projects. And 
it's very hard when your day is full of a lot of different, you know, meetings that you got to go to, to, to shift all of that. So like you look at your calendar and you're like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I got to, I got to move eight meetings and I have the rest of the week filled and it took me a month to get this particular meeting. And so it's just very frustrating. So something that I experienced um, on a relatively regular basis. So fast forward to, um, I don't know, somewhere around May 2016, um, I met a neighbor of mine. So we walked to school. My daughters, both my daughters went to a private school right down the street from from us. So I was walking the girls to school and ran into another neighbor whose kids also went to our school, introduced myself, met her, that sort of thing. Turned That was Liz. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Liz and I ran, ran into each other again. Um, on a Slack channel channel called Women Who um, Women Who Startup, and she was oh, cool. she was like, "Hey, so I have this idea of this thing that I want to build, and I know I'm I know I'm going to need some software. So I was wondering if um, you know you'd maybe meet with me and talk to me about what that might look like. So of course I said yes, and we met at a coffee shop not too far from the house, and um, we were sitting there and we were kind of talking about it. Liz's idea, which has since been built by some other people, so it's great that it has been was um, a co-working space that, um, you know, was kind of geared around working parents with like on-site childcare and that sort of thing. And so we were talking about that. And in the context of that, we were, we were sort of going back and forth about, well, would you have someone there all the time? Would that make sense? You know, um, and we were like, you know, something like Lyft for, for childcare, like where you just kind of go on your phone and you like, tell someone, meet me at this co-working space. You know, there's a, there's a space you can use to watch the child. And we're like, wait, this has to exist, right? And so both of us spent a fair amount of time kind of Googling around that day to figure out if it did exist, and it didn't. Um, you know, there were lots of, we have competitors in the market that are doing things differently, but nothing kind of fit what we were originally thinking. And I think, I want to say it was like a week or maybe two weeks later, we were incorporated. Nice. And had, and had formed the business and, and we're, we're working on, um, you know, we were ideating and, you know, sketching and basically starting to build. So now you have it. Now you have it. Yeah. It's out in the market. People are using it. Yeah. We're exciting. Yeah, it is super exciting. It's also crazy because it's, it's, um, there's so much stuff that, that you, you don't know. So like I spent most of my career building other people's ideas. So helping them take their idea from, you know, the idea phase to a built product. But a lot of times that was about where I ended, you know, so I might help with, um, you know, life cycle stuff as far as, um, you know, infrastructure and things like that. But, but I never really got into a lot of the marketing or the growth hacking or any of that sort of stuff. Um, so now that's the part that I'm like, oh, there's all these things that I didn't really know and I'm learning. So, that's, so did Liz have that experience though? No, neither one of us did. Um, so Liz is actually a, a lawyer by trade and she's worked primarily with startups her whole, you know, most of her career. But, mm-hmm. you know, she also didn't have any sort of marketing background um, or growth hacking background. So it's it's been a learning curve for us. So we have really good product market fit, you know, like we have users who use it. Um, and we've, you know, we've done a few iterations on things based on, them using it in ways that we didn't expect them to, uh, which is great because that's what you're supposed to do with product. Um, but then we're kind of in this new stage of, okay, now we have to 
we have to build traction. And how do we do that? <laughs> so what cities are you open in? Just yours? No. So right now we're in Denver, but we're working on building out our caregiver base in uh, New York, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Austin. How are you picking these cities? So part of it is where we have potential partnerships. So for instance, um, my husband's company is called Sweetness and they have, um, they are basically a company that allows you to book high-end suites in places like Vegas and New York. So we have a partnership with them so that they actually have a lot of families that book. It's, it's really cool. So we have a partnership with them to provide childcare through them. And in those cities, that was a motivator for us to go ahead and start opening in those markets because then we have we have sort of like a ready built demand side of, of our marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, so we could go ahead and justify getting the supply. And then Austin's just because Austin is cool and it's a, you know, it's a startup haven kind of place and it just is a good fit for us. And we also already, already have lots of parents that, that are demanding <laughs> the service there. So we're looking at Austin um, and building out the caregiver base there. Have you done any business development with like the big brands that people know and trust, like the parenthood or like, you know, the 20-year-old the brands that everyone knows their logo that are in the parent-child space? We haven't done a lot of that sort of stuff. We're just now starting to kind of understand affiliate marketing, which is where that I think would fall in. We're toying with PR and kind of learning how to, you know, how to utilize PR that we're getting. Um, and we're working on marketing funnels. So making sure that when we do have people who come to our site and express an interest, we don't just sort of abandon them. We're an invitation only system, which which is a little bit of a barrier to entry. And there's, there's reasons for that, um, primarily safety. And so we've struggled a little bit with how to have an invitation only system that we can grow fast enough because it's a little bit of an impediment to traction for obvious reasons. Yeah. So you, you actually when it's invite on the caregiver side, it's on, it's invite on both sides. Oh, it's invite on both sides. Yep. Got because it. I mean, we're sending caregivers to people's houses. So, I mean, we need to make sure that both sides are, are, or at least vetted to some degree on the parent side. And then we do a lot of vetting on the caregiver side. That is true. So I've actually thought about this, right? Because how could you not, if you're a creative person and you have the skills to make technology, right? Mm -hmm. So when I thought about this, um, the, the first thing, you go through all the standard issues, like your type of safety, all these, all these roadblocks pop up and you kind of just decide to go through and problem solve them and think about them. And one of the things that I thought about that would that would solve some problems is like now that we have friends mm -hmm. that have kids as well around the same age group because they have to be around the same age group as one of your litter, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. yep. like, for it to mesh for you to go on that that park play date. I was like uh, the the short of it was the conclusion that I came into if I were to do it would be that it would be like a private network between us and the friends and we would have some sort of credit system where we exchange time, right? It's not on demand and it's it wouldn't be for the the use case that you were specifically saying, right? Like wake up Wednesday morning, but it would be more of like a date, give me, let's exchange date nights, right? Yep, so bartering time essentially. Yeah, so if we're on this network and there's four families in this network, if I, I can watch their kids and I get credit on the network and they're like, woo, I, I don't know. That was my sort of paper napkin sketch of, of how I would begin to try to solve it, right? 
Well, so you're not too far off from what we did as well. So par partly what we said was, okay, how do, how do we normally solve this in our everyday life? Well, you text your friend Liz and you say, hey, Liz, do you know anybody who might be able to watch Aria today? And she texts you back. Well, I got this one person. Maybe you can try texting her. And so you go through this whole drama of like texting this person and that person and like, and it's just, it's a hassle. Like, um, mm -hmm. so we said, if we can mimic that behavior, then and take away the hassle of it for parents, that would be the ideal situation. So that's what we tried to mimic. And we have this concept of a, of, of a network within our app. So you can, there's like varying degrees of your network. So there's your favorites, like your normal go-to caregivers, right? So like everybody has a few that they always call first. So you put those in your favorites and then there are sort of groups that you're a part of that you kind of inherently trust. So like my kid's school, you know, I, I tend to trust the parents in that school. Um, you know, we're kind of all, we have similar mindsets, that sort of thing. I trust the teachers that come from that school. And that's another thing is that we actually target a lot of, um, well, our, our target audience for caregivers are people that we feel are already qualified to work with children. So teachers is one of those. Um, so I trust the teachers from my school and I trust my friends, you know, and their judgment on their caregivers. So you can kind of build up this network of people and then we will we will broadcast to those ahead of anybody else. So we'll go to your favorites first and give them an opportunity to pick it up. And then we'll go to your friends caregivers first and give them an opportunity to pick it up. And then we go to your organizations and then finally um, out to a broader network. And you can control that on a job by job basis. So if you're working from home, you're probably okay with it going to a broader network, right? But if you're, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's an overnight, then you only want it to go to your favorites. Right. So we, we let parents sort of decide that on on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's not too dissimilar from what you're saying um, with the exception that it's not necessarily a network of your friends bartering each other's time, but more a network of your friends and their, and their contributions to the network of caregivers. No, that's amazing. So you have, there's, there's four or five people right now there because I, I wrote down like Amanda and Anthony because I was curious yeah, about what they did. Yeah, there's four of us. Oh, so yeah. So keep going. I want to know what, what kind of everyone does, like the overview. Well, so Anthony and I are primarily development. Um, I've been very fortunate to have him with me since pretty early on. He and I worked together at Thoughtbot um, previously, and then Liz is our CEO, and she's a lawyer by trade and has amazing writing skills because she also used to be a copy editor, and um, so she does all the business stuff, all the legal stuff. And she's done primarily our marketing stuff. And Amanda is also marketing, does a lot of social media stuff, um, public relations, that kind of thing. And then I am doing primarily operations. So making sure that, you know, when jobs are getting booked, that the caregivers are showing up. Um, if someone doesn't show up, I make sure that someone new gets <laughs> gets there um, to make sure the parents taken care of. So I do a lot of the operation stuff. And then Amanda helps me with a lot of the operation stuff as far as the caregiver side of things go. So it's kind of split. I'm sort of COO, CTO, and Liz is sort of like CEO and CMO. And then Amanda and Anthony basically just support everything <laughs> that we need them to. Yeah. And then so right now, are you doing, is the business running off of its cash flow or are you still dependent on investor capital? So we've only taken, we've taken a small amount of investment capital, um, but it's been primarily bootstrapped to this point. No, that's good. I like, I like staying lean and, and figuring out the business before, mm -hmm. you know, you really go to scale it. Right. Yep. That's it. Cause that's how you retain the most of your baby, right? Yes, the most exactly. Of your money. You get most, yeah. you keep the most of your equity. So I'm curious if like, 
I've been thinking a lot lately about the importance of generating cash as a as a startup, right? Because and this is not not aimed at you. This is aimed at like the amount of people that reach out to me and ask me questions because of the show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, how do I raise money? How do I get the next round? And I'm I'm starting to see that it's a bigger thing than I thought it was. So now I'm responding to them and thinking more about it and saying like, you know, take half of your, if you're, if you go pull, you know, 300 grand from, from some VC to make a product that's 300 grand, like you're losing. What you should do is you should make a product that's like a hundred grand and spend 200 grand on like sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like go get your company cash. That way you can survive. Like the idea is not to the, get to the next round. The idea is to whatever you're taking in whatever round to be able to become independent from that specific round. Yeah, exactly. And and I have to give Liz credit. She's really, really good at keeping us keeping us in check with that um, and is good at, you know, so, sort of gauging when we should be looking at taking money and when we shouldn't be. And I'm sure that like as you apply more focus, you get it better at whatever you're focusing on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that's a that's a first principle type deal. So I'm imagining that there's some sort of audience, there's some range or neighborhood or lifestyle. Like there's some cat there's 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 an audience like maybe if they make $350,000 a year or whatever, then they have this and they have two to three kids between these ages that they have this very specific need that they're willing to put more cash out or do more business with than let's say any other segment, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, and then by identifying that segment and, and, and focusing on delivering and that need, because like right now what you explained to me was you had some, as a COO type role, you had a lot of uh, air traffic controlling. So when I, when I saw that, my mind said, okay, that's not a problem, right? Right. That's not necessarily, that does not mean like people always think, oh, if there's manual stuff involved or if you have to have humans involved, you're not going to make money. I'm like, no, stop saying that. <laughs> what, what it is, is like, you just have to, you just adjust your approach and go look at the models that successfully exist that have the human interaction and them. And then you see, see what things you can apply from that model to your model, like maybe like a higher end service. Right. So, well, what we try to do is figure out, we always try to figure out what does it look like before we, before we automate it. Um, and, and with regard to operations, there is a little bit of human interaction and I don't, you know, I don't know if we'll ever be able to get completely away from that. Um, you know, everybody still has customer support and Lyft drivers sometimes don't show up. Um, and the app is not always great at, 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 you know, helping you with that. In fact, I got stranded in New Jersey at the airport because a Lyft driver said on the app that he picked me up, um, but he hadn't and then left the airport and the Lyft app thought I was still in, thought I was in the car. And so I couldn't get a new Lyft. And so like, there are things that like things go wrong, right? So like, you're always going to need some humans to be involved and make sure that like things are, are going as smooth as possible. But for instance, we opened up the, uh, we used, in the very beginning, we only allowed you to book within 48 hours. Um, you know, we were thinking this was very much a last minute type market. Um, but then what we started seeing was that we had parents who wanted to book further out. And so we opened that up. <clears throat> and then as part of that, I started realizing, oh, well, this caregiver booked this job like three weeks ago. They engaged on this job like three weeks ago. I should probably text them and make sure that they remember that they're booked on that job. And then it's like, okay, there's a story for that. We need to, you know, this is something I'm doing manually at the moment, but I can build the, you know, I can build the code to do that. 
And so that was how, that's how we kind of came about that. And that's sort of how we try to approach everything is like, we see, we see what is it that we're having to do manually and then figure out how to automate that into, into the system. Right. And that's why you have 17 years of experience (laughs) and know that you have to do that. It's not like a question of, uh, should we do this? Like you just know that this is how you'd go about developing a product that's stable. Right. Right. That's why I like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank Uh, you. I've got, I've got some CTO questions. Okay. Um, so what is the biggest challenge from a CTO perspective that you faced in this business that you're doing now? Um, so I think the fact that we have development shops on the team and have had development shops on the team from the beginning is that we sometimes do build stuff too fast because it's it's like easy right to mm-hmm. for uh, for us to just tackle whatever the thing is with development um and so i think sometimes it's the probably the biggest challenge for us is not building stuff um you know and making making sure that like we don't jump to that solution too quick that's been the hardest thing for us thus far i i feel you right there because when you have that skill it's like a like a woodworker, like he's like, oh, I need a chair. You just go right, you just go right into his facility, right into his garage. Boom, chair. Yep. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. it's a little bit scary because other people don't have that capability, and so they have to they go through this different thought process of, right, I think I need a chair. I really maybe they, I don't they, need a chair. What kind of chair like, do I need? Yeah. <laughs> who, who should be building my chair? What should the features be? like? And we're just like, nope, chair. Like squirrel. Like yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's probably been the biggest challenge thus far with with all of this. How about you? This is the first time you a co-founder. Yes, yes, yes. This is my first time as a founder. How is that relationship like with with you and Liz? It's a relationship. Humans have relationships. There's ups. There's downs. How long did it take you for you, you both to kind of find your balance? A couple months, a year. You know, I don't know the exact timing. Uh, really, we. <laughs> So we didn't know each other before we started the business, really. And, you know, we've heard, we've gotten feedback that, you know, investors are always weary of founders who didn't know each other, who don't have a long relationship. But I think it's been a benefit for us that we didn't know each other because we've had to learn how to communicate and also have had to over communicate in order to make sure that we could, we could do this thing together. So we're basically in a relationship. We're sort of married, right? Like yeah. we, we we spend a large majority of our time together. We have to make decisions together all the time. And and Nano is essentially our child. So we're raising a child together. Um, you know, we have to make decisions about, you know, what direction to, to take its education. There's all sorts <laughs> of things that we're, you know, we're trying to, to, to sort out between the two of us. And that requires that we sort out our values together. And so it's been, Mm. it's been a really interesting journey for the two of us. Um, but I think we have done extraordinarily well at making sure that we are compromising when we need to not compromising when, when we shouldn't. So, you know, really standing up for what we think when we should, um, and, you know, just talking to each other constantly in order to make sure that we, are on the same page and able to keep this thing going. Yeah. You've mentioned a really good point that I found a lot of individuals with success bring up and it's this over communication and then values, of course, like when you, when you create, take that distance of 
conversation, like you have a conversation, we're going to do this and you walk away. The, the longer that distance is, the more, ch- the higher, the exponential chance for error and confusion. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and recovering from that too is, is a very important part of it. So being able to step back and say, okay, here, here are the, here are the ways that we, we failed at our communication. Let's address that. And then also here's the thing that we miscommunicated about. Let's address that. And then now what do we going to do in the future so that this doesn't happen again. So it's all about communication. Oh, I love it. Are you a fan of Elon Musk? I am. Ooh, you excited? You, I was so pumped when those dual rockets, when those land, stages <laughs> landed. I was like, you, it's like, it I felt time. like, <laughs> yes, right. I was like, please, not another cycle of this. Like I need, I need this to work so that I have space travel as a common thing in my lifetime, like land you, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I probably won't ever get to do it, but that's fine. Just the fact that it exists, right? <laughs> right. Did you get a Did you get a chance to buy a flamethrower? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Me either. He, he posted a follow up on Twitter. He's like, uh, many governments are saying that they will not allow shipping in because of the word flamethrower. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he came up with like some other name for it, which was hilarious. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a real smart PR marketing push that that he did with that. Cool. So uh, let's say that he calls you up or texts you, right? Uh-huh. And uh, he says, you know, send a babysitter over, right? He needs, he needs one. Someone watches it. You decide to take it because you see the request come through and you want to go meet Elon Musk. He gets there. Fantastic. But he's got something special. Oh, no. Elon Musk has a time machine. You can jump into it. Actually, he's, he's holding a flamethrower and he's requiring you to go into it. And <laughs> you get to go back 10 years, 10 years ago and talk to your specific self. Give yourself a piece of advice. You don't have to worry about time, travel issues, or things messing up or anything like that. Just give yourself some advice. What would you say to yourself 10 years ago? Uh, I think I would just tell myself to keep doing what you're doing. Continue to be confident. You'll get where you want to go eventually. Oh, I love it. That was, Desi, that was, that was really well. That was done. Were you prepared for that? No, that was awesome. not at all. In fact, I was a little bit terrified when you started going down this path of time machine. <laughs> I was like, oh like, no, like I got to totally like start talking about time paradoxes. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I love what you reminded that. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Smooth talker. I, you're definitely someone to watch out for. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.